This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Good morning. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're talking about child custody. Our guest today is uh, Chancery Court Judge Hayden Roberts. He's in the studio here with me in Jackson. And <coughs> Professor Gershon is in the studio in Oxford. So if you have any questions about the law concerning child custody, our phone number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email. Our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. And it is such an honor to have uh Judge Roberts on the show today. You know, when we think about judges, a lot of times I think people immediately think about the Supreme Court. But the fact is, for everyday people on day-to-day issues like child custody, uh, like probate, uh, most people will deal with a chancery court judge uh, a lot more often than, than they would a Supreme Court judge. They, the, the cases decided by the Supreme Court really don't always affect them the way that cases decided by judges like uh, Judge Roberts do. So his function is very, very important, and we're honored to have him on the show. Judge Roberts, we are. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I understand the Chancery Court judge, it's an elected position. So I, before this, I assume you were a practicing attorney? Well, that's uh, a loaded answer, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I spent uh, almost eight years uh, clerking at the Rankin County Chancery Court prior to running for office. So I was in the public uh, sector practicing uh, as a uh, law clerk and then a staff attorney at the Rankin County Chancery Court for about eight years prior to running for office. So, But not a farmer or a Walmart employee or you, you knew about the law. I, I did, yeah. Although I tell people I'm a tree farmer when they ask because oh, okay. uh, it, it, it quite, quite uh, ask. We get a lot of legal questions everywhere we go <laughs> when they find out you're a judge. So, Well, we're glad that you're here and I know we have quite a variety of individuals who listen to our show. I think we do have some lawyers. I think uh, Professor Gershon maybe coerces some of the law students into listening, but then we also have just everyday people. So let's let's get kind of uh, at some basics. Now, Chancery Court judges hear special cases involving wills and estates, support and custody of minor children, divorces, alimony, and lunacy and commitment hearings. Is that right? Correct. We have a a wide range of uh, things we hear. I will try to quantify it the best I can. The majority of what is heard by a Chancery Court judge is in the domestic arena. So you're, you're talking about custody of children, divorce, alimony, things that touch and concern 
concern the domestic life. Then there is a, a small percentage of things that concern what I call uh, death litigation, things that surround uh, probate, things that surround uh, mom and dad's things after they leave after they leave this world. And then um, also lunacies, uh, psychiatric and drug and alcohol commitments to the state hospital and other facilities. We do. We have exclusive jurisdiction over guardianships of children and adults, conservatorships over adults. And so it's quite a wide uh, range of things we have to know. But the overwhelming majority of what we hear day to day is in the domestic arena. All right. So and today we're specifically going to talk about child custody. Uh, We know from the past uh, folks have questions about that and, uh, you know, we're going to try to answer your questions on what the law is. I don't know that we can get into your particular case or your daughter's particular case or your grandchild's particular case, but if you give us the facts, uh, hopefully uh, Judge Roberts can tell you what the law is concerning that. Uh, Once again, Again, our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. If you can't get to where you can call in, please do send us an email. I'm the only one, and uh, and I'll show the, the email to uh, Judge Roberts, the only one that will be looking at them. So we won't use your name if you don't want, but we would like to let you know what the law is. Now, when we have talked about uh, custody cases People say uh, the Albright factors, and and that's the code. That's a code. Uh, tell us what Albright versus Albright was. All right. So historically, prior to the case of Albright v. Albright, Chancery judges would just award custody to one or the other party, and there was not a lot of uh, justification given uh, for mm-hmm. why. It was the judge came out and said custody of the child is awarded to the mother to the father. Well. In uh, 1983, the Supreme Court, um, there was a decision out of Harrison County, and this is the Albright case, but there was uh, Justice Prather at that time um, on appeal at the Supreme Court. Uh, Mr. Albright was aggrieved because he was a father of a 19-month-old whose uh, custody was awarded to uh, his uh, then ex-wife or current ex-wife. And so uh, that case went up on appeal, and that case handed down factors that chancery judges are supposed to consider and weigh in making initial child custody determinations. Um, That word initial being very important. This does not apply to modifications, although Albright goes into Mm -hmm. changing custody. But on initial custody determinations between married people or even unmarried people, uh, courts now have to consider the Albright factors, uh, and there are 12 of them uh, that courts have to consider and weigh when determining child custody. And the Supreme Court Court of Appeals have repeatedly emphasized through a litany of cases thereafter that the pollstar consideration in determining child custody is what is in the best interest and welfare of that child. Now, we we I have the list in front of me. I, I think if you Google, the, the list is, is apparent. Is it numerically in order of importance or it just happens to be the order that 
is listed. No, no, there's no importance in terms of which ones come up first or are listed first. Um, and, and the importance of the factors, in my experience, vary from case to case. You mm-hmm. may have one case where uh, employment of the parents is a major uh, determinant in child custody. For example, if you have a parent who is traveling a considerable amount of time uh, throughout the country during the uh, traditional work week, that mm-hmm. may play very uh, a very significant role in custody. Right. Whereas the next case, maybe moral fitness is the big uh, big right. factor. So, no, it's it's not um, a rank of which ones are more important. Mm-hmm. It's more of a uh, total uh, totality of the circumstances approach. Right. But some factors will, in fact, have more significance and importance than others. That's good to know because you would hope that every Every situation is unique, and uh, I don't think anybody wants their major life decisions based on a cookie cutter where you have to check A, check B, check C, whereas it's good to know that while the judges are held to a standard that these must be considered, they can have the leeway on this situation lends it to one avenue rather another one does and and even when you're when you refer to uh, not having a cookie cutter but having a a, a template to follow right. or some accountability judges chancery judges have to mention each factor right. in the decision okay they have to if the factor's not uh, uh, if it's inapplicable, you have to say it is right. a non-factor in my decision-making here today. Um, you have to discuss the relevance of each factor as it relates to each parent, not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's another important thing to keep in mind. It's not who wins the factors. So it's not like father wins five factors, mother wins four, so mm-hmm. father gets custody. Right. We're, we're, it, it, that, that doesn't play. It's a weighing and considering of the factors and looking at it from a totality of the circumstances. Fantastic. And now we have uh, one call that we're going to take before we get to our first break. Uh, Brandon, uh, John from Brandon, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Judge Roberts, uh, this is John and Brandon. I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, is there any judge in Rankin County Chantry Court that knows as much as you do about ch- child custody? <laughs> oh, we've got the uh, Judge Roberts the fan club call. president on the line. There, there's uh, three Chantry judges in Rankin County, and I can assure you that the other two know much more than I do, <laughs> uh, as they have been uh, practicing uh, or been judges for many years longer than I have. That would be uh, Chantry Judge John Grant and Chantry <laughs> Judge John uh, C. McLaurin, Jr. Uh, so that answers your question. <laughs> Thanks for calling in very much. We're going to go ahead and take our first break of the show. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of custody. If you have questions about how custody is decided in Mississippi, if you'd like to know what the law is, please do give us a call. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, we realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. So if you miss any of our program, remember you can always listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Uh, How are things up there in Oxford today? They're, they're great, Liz. They really are, and I'm really enjoying the show and very happy Judge Roberts is on. I wanted to let people know about a, uh, a link that they can find out more about the, uh, the Chancery Court. It's called the Better Chancery Practice Blog. And it's betterchancery.com. Judge Larry Primo, a, a Chancery Court judge, uh, posts a you know, blog post about things like child custody and other things that happen in the Chancery Court, including some current cases. And he'll be happy to know that we are now going to require our students at Ole Miss Law to take evidence again. Uh, he, that was one of his things that he was concerned about. So the law students who graduate from Ole Miss Law will all have had evidence. But uh, otherwise, beautiful day in Oxford. Well, we're so glad that uh, you're there with us. Our guest is uh, Hayden Roberts, Chancery Court Judge in Brandon. And, uh, you know, in looking through information, uh, what you, it's Chancery Court. You're called a chancellor. How does that work? That's what it's called. There are 20 Chancery districts in the state of Mississippi, and um, my district encompasses the entirety of Rankin County. Many of my colleagues uh, who sit in multi uh, county districts where they have to travel to several different counties. For example, uh, my colleagues in uh, northeast Mississippi have eight counties uh, that they have to uh, tend to. I fortunately uh, have just one county that is Rankin County. It's the 20th Chancery District, and I, I serve alongside with two other Chancery judges there. Fantastic. And the link that Professor Gershon mentioned, betterchancery.org, we will have that on our website for In Legal Terms later today when this show is available to be listened to as a podcast or online. So uh, we have some callers. We've got three callers up. So we're going to go ahead and go to Columbia. Uh, Mike is on the line. Thanks for calling in, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, are you guys there? We are. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Hi. Well, I had a question. It's a situation that happened to me a while back, and I'm I'm seeing it happen to a lot of people um, in in uh, Mississippi and elsewhere. Well, um, I got a ticket in 2008 in Laurel, Mississippi, for not having a car seat. Um, I went to court for the first time regarding the car seat, and um, the judge. I told the judge I didn't have the money that day. The judge uh, automatically had me. Uh, locked up in a holding cell and held me as ransom. And I was 18 at the at the time. I was in I was in there for an hour or so. And my mother was trying to come up with this hundred dollars, uh, and she was calling everybody. And uh, you know, it did something to me as an 18 year old. And I felt like the judge might have violated my due process because it was the first time that I came to contest the uh, the ticket. Um, so I feel like I was, again, my rights 
was restricted or taken away and she just took advantage of me because a lot of people are not legally educated. A lot of people are, are, are law illiterate, as you might say. Um, how can we go about uh, maybe following a report on these judges who in some way abuse power and take advantage of, you know, the uneducated? Yes. How can I... Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for for your call. Let me let me say first to you, if you were cited with a ticket, then that would have been either by a sheriff or by a, a police officer or a highway patrolman. Uh, chancery judges is what I do. We don't write tickets. We're in the civil realm, not in the criminal realm. But the 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 question that you asked, there is an answer. Um, there is a Mississippi Commission on Judicial Performance. And they are, for lack of a better term, I call them the judge police, uh, who uh, who uh, receive complaints uh, about judges uh, from all the way through from municipal judges, justice court judges, chancery judges, circuit judges, all the way up. And that's the process that you uh, need to go through or anyone who feels like they've been done wrong. Um, if there's been something that, that uh, has committed that a judge has abused power, so to speak, as you said. But uh, that's that's the legal remedy uh, for someone uh, in your situation. Repeat what that was called again. It's the Mississippi Commission on Judicial Performance. All right. Well, Thank you so much, man. Yes, all sir. All right, Mike, we appreciate you calling in. Next, from Sturgis, we have Susie, who's called in. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Uh, thank you for your program. Oh, well, we're glad you're enjoying it. Go ahead. Okay, so my um, question has to do. Uh, someone mentioned earlier, the gentleman who called in, I think it was from Oxford, that uh, in northeast Mississippi, that uh, there are eight different chancery courts. And I want to say that that works tremendous. I know a person who was going through a divorce, and each time there was another hearing, it was scheduled in a different, you know, hot, hot somewhere, in a different little area in the middle of nowhere. And that works a tremendous hardship on people who are going already paying through the nose for attorneys, uh, you know, handling their cases. Uh, they're already under stress. And then they have to go uh, to all these little hamlets in Mississippi uh, for all these court keys. So someone needs to take that into account. I work in a, a, a terrible hardship. The other thing, and I'm familiar with the Judicial Review Board for the judges, that uh, for med- I mean, legal malpractice on the part of the attorney in Chancery case, uh, where can a person, there a state agency uh, that a person can file a, a complaint against um, a Chancery, uh, well, an attorney who's uh, litigating a case in Chancery Court. Yes, ma'am. First, let me. I'm going to answer your uh, second part of the question first, uh, in reverse order that you gave. First off, uh, I, sh- I should have said it during the first caller, but any complaints about attorneys has to be referred to the Mississippi Bar. Um, that that's where complaints are made about uh, attorneys. Uh, as to your first, uh, and you can find uh, the Mississippi Bar uh, on on online. Uh, I believe it's msbar.org uh, is the website.
website for the Mississippi Bar. Now, the first part of your question, I want to clarify one point. Uh, in northeast Mississippi, it's, it's not eight different chantry courts. They are eight counties within one judicial district. So, yes, each county does have a different courthouse, but it's the same judicial district. Unfortunately, the legislature is the one that decides what the judicial districts will be. And just like they have judistrict, uh, redistricting after every census of the legislature, sometimes there's also judicial redistricting as well. And I know that that can work a hardship on a lot of people to have to travel uh, from one end of a district to another end of a district uh, to have a multi-day case litigated. Um, it's also very difficult on the judge, I'm sure, and difficult on the court staff as well to have to travel from county to county, time to time. Um, but yes, it is it is an issue, but unfortunately, uh, given the financial climate we have in the state, we don't have uh, a chancery judge, so to speak, or a circuit judge or a county judge, so to speak, for each county, and uh, most of them have to travel. And one other question about statute of limitations. If a case, say, were uh, litigated in uh, 2005, uh, what is the statute of limitations on filing uh, a complaint uh, at the uh, Mississippi Bar against the Chancery against uh, an attorney who handled the Chancery case? Well, I would uh, love to answer that question. Unfortunately, advising someone about what certain statute of limitation applies to a certain situation would be actually giving you legal advice. And me being a current judge, I'm not allowed to uh, provide legal advice to anyone. Um, but uh, my suggestion to you is to find an attorney in your area who is competent uh, in chancery practice or anyone facing a chancery issue that needs uh, uh, advice on a chancery court issue is to find an attorney who is competent in chancery court issues. Now, that phrase, competent in chancery court issues, is very important. Uh, somebody who knows what they're doing has been in that courthouse before uh, to help you navigate your way through uh, these very difficult and usually complex problems. Thank you, Susie. We appreciate you listening and hope you have good luck with uh, your issues. Next, we're going to Starkville. Uh, Deb, welcome to the show. Deb, we appreciate you listening to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. My question may be a bit oblique, Judge Roberts, but um, my grand, my 14-year-old granddaughter is going to be spending the summer with me and attending a camp at Mississippi State. Do I need a special statement or affidavit or something like that about custody from her uh, other set of grandparents that she's living with, especially for, like, health reasons or anything like that? Well, that's a tricky question. Um, my first, uh, first off, let me say I, I'm not going to give you legal advice on it because I'm not allowed to. But my my question, my first question would be, or my first advice would be, not legal advice, just walking around. Uh, p practical advice would be just to go ask the camp. Uh, if you're if there's going to be something they specifically need from you that your granddaughter's attending, and yes, they do. Well, and and, and I'm and I will sign that, but I'm just not really sure about since my granddaughter lives with another set of grandparents. Um, whether since they're really the 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 folks that have true custody in another state, um, if I need something. 
<laughs> to to give me just for the summer um, custody or something. I just well, and and you could always ask the custodial uh, or the custodians, um, and if they were willing to provide you with uh, the proper documentation that that you needed for the summer, that might be the easiest route too. Okay. If y'all if y'all f- are sideways with each other, oh and, no, no problem. Well, then then I think they that the two of you could probably work together to probably resolve that issue. And okay. of course, that's what I tell everybody in court too that has an issue. I wish that you two would sit down and try to resolve all of your issues before the court gets involved because a lot of times um uh, it's it's difficult for us to stick our noses into things and try to figure things out when in reality the parties before us are able to resolve their differences better than we are. So um, that might be the best route. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Um, the the concern that I had really now is that, and I've had those statements in the past from um, the other grandparents uh, when she stayed with me in the summer. However, you know now that she's fourteen, can she? Um, uh, consent for her is she permitted to consent for her own treatment was what I was wondering um are you referring to medical treatment? Correct. Yeah, I, I, I'm not qualified to answer that. Okay. My gut instinct says no. A 14 year old is not going to be able to to make uh, decisions concerning their health uh, and welfare at at 14. Uh, but uh, also, you've also mentioned something else that complicates your situation, and that is that she's coming from another state. So you have different laws, uh, which another state's laws could be quite different from the laws uh, that we have here in Mississippi. Well, Deb, I think it's always a good idea to to be proactive and show the intention that everyone agrees uh, and that uh, uh, you're you're all amicable about this. So we're going to take our next break. We're talking about uh, Chancery Court uh, custody. Our guest today is Hayden Roberts, Chancery Court judge for the 20th Chancery District, Place 3 in Rankin County. If you have any questions about what the law is, Concerning uh, custody, we'd love to have your questions, your phone calls. Our number is 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. Our address is Legal Terms at MPBOnline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to MPB Think Radio in legal terms. Professor Professor Richard Gershon is our expert at Old Miss at the University Law School there. And today we're joined by our guest, Hayden Roberts, Chancery Court Judge for Rankin County. Uh, doing okay up there, uh, Professor Gershon? Doing great. Enjoying uh, Judge Roberts' uh, comments very much and uh, really good information. One thing I, you know, I would say, I would add, is I heard a divorce lawyer talking about how 
the people who should come to his office should be their best selves, especially where children are involved. And that doesn't always happen. And it would make Judge Roberts' job easier if, if people thought about themselves as parents, what's in the best interest of the child and their children before they go into court, before they talk to a lawyer. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Yeah, that's that's correct, Professor. And I, I, I tell people um, uh, over and over again um, that uh, our judicial system, as strange as it may be, a perfect stranger to the litigants is here to resolve their differences. And in Chancery Court, we're talking about their finances. We're talking about the custody of their children, the bonds of their marriage. And it is always, it's both my personal and my professional opinion, that is always better for litigants to solve their own problems than to have a perfect and complete stranger come into the situation, apply the facts as they're presented in court, not necessarily the facts as they are in life, but the facts that are presented in court, apply those facts to the current state of the law that is ever-changing to reach a resolution. And oftentimes these litigants, Professor, are not needing a chancery judge. What they need is a wizard and we can't just wave a wand and make their problems uh, go away and so it is that's why i always say it is always better for uh, the litigants to uh, make every good faith effort to resolve their disputes prior to coming uh, to the courthouse all right and now we appreciate ginger from madison uh holding on uh you're listening to in legal terms go ahead ginger with your question or comment uh, yes, I heard the comment about the Mississippi Judicial Performance System, and I had some concerns about a judge and serious concerns, and I did contact them and filed a complaint, and about a week and a half later, that judge resigned after holding that position for years. When I contacted the Mississippi Judicial Performance back and asked them how the investigation was going or is there a status on it, they told me that the judge was no longer accountable because he resigned his position. And um, I just don't think that's a good system. I think he should be still accountable for what they might have found, um, even though he resigned his position. Um I was just wondering if that was true. Well, I'm I'm not uh, an expert in what happens at uh, the Mississippi Commission on Judicial Performance. I personally try to handle my business and my affairs in the courtroom as professional as I can to avoid having the Department of Judicial Performance coming after or, or uh, having anything to, to worry about with, with me. I can't speak about what happens. I, I'll say this, though, and this this is an important point, and I've said this, and, and I'm not excusing anyone's behavior when I say this. I don't want you to think that I'm for one moment excusing anybody, but I do want to remind folks, and I often say this when I speak to young people, uh, judges are human too. Uh, we go through the same emotions, the same uh, things that other people go through. We have uh, relationships that are torn asunder. We have th- problems in our own families. We have financial problems from time to time. I mean, judges go through the same array of issues that the general public goes through. And I would like to think, and I will tell you uh, uh, that it is my uh, my uh, 
belief based on the relationships that I have with the state trial level judges, that being circuit, chancery, and county court judges, and for that matter, the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals, um, that the overwhelming majority of those men and women do their jobs with professionalism. They take their jobs uh, abundantly uh, serious. They um, uh, they think, which I think oftentimes in this world and the time we're in right now, we, we forget the value of stopping and thinking about things. They think, they contemplate, they weigh these decisions on their minds. And um, I think for the, the majority, the overwhelming majority, uh, you know, the judges do the best they can. And they uh, really make uh, the people of this state proud because, like I said, we are accountable to the public every four years. Uh, we're on the ballot. And uh, so. It's just a shame when uh, one of those incidences uh, uh, happens to you if uh, uh, a human frailty or mistake happens. Thank you, Ginger. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, today we're talking with Chancery Court Judge Hayden Roberts. Uh, about custody, and we're talking about the Albright factors, which is the secret code word for the the way that the judges, uh, the factors they take into consideration when talking about custody of minor children. And let's just go through the first four super quick. Uh, once again, these order aren't in any order, but uh, age, health, and gender of the child parent having a continuity of care prior to separation, parent with best parenting skills and willingness and capacity to provide primary child care, and employment of the parent and responsibilities of that employment. And each of those are just things that uh, the, the judge, do they ask specifically, or do they kind of, while they're listening, just kind of think, oh, well, that applies to this, that applies to that? Well, each judge has their own... Um their own their own uh, route in uh-huh. getting to these uh, factors, but you see, you have to keep in mind we are just along for the ride. The lawyers are the ones asking the questions for the most part, and we're taking what is presented into court and applying it to these factors. So, yes, I mean, for age, health, and and gender of the child, Mm -hmm. usually that's one of the first factors the lawyers cover. They'll say you and your your husband had a child named such and such whose birth date is on such and such. That's a female child. Does she have any health problems? And so we're constantly listening to that information. Mm -hmm. Um, I will tell you one of the biggest factors that I find um, that lawyers focus in on in custody decisions is parenting skills. Oh, okay. What does parenting skills mean? Everybody wants to put on proof of who does the cooking, who does the cleaning, who does the laundry, who uh, does the the transportation. And yes, that's parenting. Parenting uh-huh. that but that, that's called that's parenting that we all get to do, the cooking, right. the cleaning. Um, you'll see oftentimes things the lawyers go into things such as who disciplines the child? Mm-hmm. Who takes those times of teachable moments mm-hmm. to mold and form this child's character or the children's character their their dispositions their who guides them in the difficult decisions of life i'll oftentimes ask um 
if uh, your two-year-old son were running in the driveway and fell and skinned his knee on the driveway, does he run to mom or does he run to dad? Oh, uh-huh. And, um, I mean, in my family, uh, all three of my kids run to their mother, not uh-huh. to me. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a bad father or anyone in my situation is a bad father, but those are kind of the things that we're listening for to get a generalized picture of what it's like mm-hmm. to live with mom, to live with dad in trying to make a custody um, determination. Okay. Uh, a couple more. There there are about uh, 16, 15, 16 factors that the Chancery judges look at when they're making uh, custody decisions. Uh, some of them also are physical and mental health and age of the parent, emotional ties of parent to child, moral fitness of the of the parent, and homeschool and uh, community uh, record of the of the child. Speak to how some of those maybe you you you've seen play out. Well, we see moral fitness quite often. Um, you know, uh, as Professor Gershon said uh, earlier. Uh, parents usually come to court and try to put on their best self, and mm-hmm. I completely understand that. Um, and uh, But we see moral fitness quite a bit uh, where the other side is trying to exploit a lack of morality in the other party. And I'll tell you the pr- biggest, the single biggest piece of evidence that I see these days having to deal with moral fitness is social media. Uh, when you've got a litigant who is uh, testifying to their... Um, uh, utmost uh, moral character and uh, then they're presented with a picture that they posted on Facebook at three in the morning three weeks ago uh, where they were out um, doing things they shouldn't have been doing at that hour of the day when they had children. So we have a lot of that. Um, uh, One of the factors that I think there's a common misconception in the state is uh, the preference of a child at the age of 12 uh, there's this uh, myth that I hear on the street that if uh, my child is 12, then my child can dictate where he or she wants uh, to live. And that's mm-hmm. just simply not true. Okay. It is just one factor of all these Albright factors that we are to, that Chancery judges are to consider. And so um, it is not if you are 12 that you get to um decide where you want to live. Uh, But uh, I will tell you, just about every chancery judge that's been doing this for a few years has had to take the difficult task of looking at a 16, 17, 18, even 19-year-old child from time to time and tell them that their preference is not going to be honored for various reasons because it's not in their best interest. Now, as they get older, certainly their opinion may be uh, have more weight, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's just a complete misconception uh, out on the street about uh, the child being able to determine where they want to live and who they want to live with. So. Well, I'm so glad that we have you on our show today, Professor. Je- uh, Prof- I'm sorry, Judge Roberts. Uh, we're going to take our last break. Uh, we're dispelling myths and learning facts about uh, the custody of children in Chancery Court. And if you have any questions about what the law is on Chancery Court uh, custody of children, we're talking about the Albright factors right now. But we'd love to have your calls. Our number is one 877 
MPB ring. That works out to be 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're taking our last break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now remember, if you miss any of this interesting program, you can go back and listen to the whole show. Our web address is mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB media app, as is all our local shows. And a shout out to all of our in legal terms subscribers. We're number two uh, at uh, on subscription downloads. So tell all your friends, help us beat money talks to be number one. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Uh, Professor, do, do, do you suggest to your students to subscribe to our podcast? You know, I'm going to because we want to be uh, money talks for sure. You know, I think the only reason, uh, you know, I love money talks, so I'm going to get around. But, you know, it, I think money talks probably helps people go to sleep better than our show does. But, but still, you know, you should uh, subscribe. We, we appreciate that. I got uh, it, it took me forever to figure out how to do it. But uh, I happen to use uh, uh, what I don't even know what it's called. Pod addict, podcast addict, and I. What shows I like? A lot of the NPR shows and some of our local shows that I haven't seen. I download it because when I drive to my mama's house through the the Delta, a lot of times there's just not any cell service. But if it's already downloaded to my phone, I can listen to it without any of the buffering. Well, we've got a, a call in right now. Uh, we're going to go to Gulfport. Uh, Rita, thanks for calling in today. Day. Go ahead with your uh, question or comment for in legal terms. Okay, this might be off the subject, but if a, a couple divorces and they have an adopted child and there's a problem with who gets custody, can the biological parent step in and ask for custody? Um, that's not off. That's not off topic a, at all. Um, it, that's a common question. Let me let me say to you: If natural parents' uh, parental rights have been terminated, which is the condition precedent to um, adoption of a child, then the short answer is that no, they don't come back into the fold. Okay. Okay. Is there any way uh, for that adopted parent to uh, get those records open or that that statement um, reversed? Are you talking about um, to reopen an adoption file? 
Yes. Yeah, that that would be a, an issue to discuss with an attorney about how to go about doing that. I will tell you there is a, an avenue uh, to file an appropriate motion in the, your jurisdiction uh, asking for that type of relief, uh, but certainly about how to do it and the um, uh, success rate of that would be something you might need to discuss with an attorney. Well, every attorney that I've asked, they just say no and brush me off. And and then, then again, that's the you know, um, I would uh, if you ask several attorneys in the area about that and they give you the same response, I would say they might be know what they're talking about. But um, but yeah, certainly I would I would ask your question more than just to one or two lawyers. I would I would ask several if I if I were in your shoes. Okay, just talk tall until I find one that says yes. Well, I like your thinking. Okay, all right, thank you. Thanks for calling in, Rita. Uh, And now we've got an email. It's an attaboy for our uh, Judge Roberts. Uh, Good morning. Judge Roberts granted custody of our grandchild to my wife and I while the child's parents have dealt with ongoing drug issues. We believe that Judge Roberts did nothing less than save that child's life, and we will forever be thankful for his reasoned understanding and swift action. That child is today a smart, funny, and healthy four year old that has a bright future thank you judge roberts so it, i'm sure a lot of these cases it's it's very hard but I would hope that the judge and everybody wants what's best for the children. Sure, sure. Like I said, the overwhelming majority of the uh, chancery bench is concerned about children. That's that's the primary motivation for why we do what we do. And um, unfortunately, Liz, drug use is uh, so pervasive that... Um, uh, that is a, a one of the leading reasons why children have to be removed from parents because uh, ongoing drug issues between uh, a mom and dad or both, and we have to take action of removing children. And I tell you, I'll tell you, those weigh on you. Uh, it's not something I'm not. I tell folks all the time, I'm not in the business of trying to take your child away. Uh, I'm in the business of trying to get everybody on the right track so that this child can grow up in an environment that will lay a foundation so that he or she can get through school and be a success in life. So, All right. We have one last call that we're going to be able to get to from Beaumont. It's uh, MPB friend Sue. Sue, Hi. we're glad you called in today. Well, uh, I'd like to make a comment. I, I think you ought to have a, have a license to have children. There, I think you, to have to prove, you should have to prove that you're mentally and financially stable to have children because there's so many children out there in horrible circumstances and people are having children who should not have children. That's my opinion. All right. It's, and, in fact, I know it's very easy to have children, so uh, that, that, that is definitely true. Let's go over uh, real quickly just a few more of the Albright factors, and that's the secret code word for what the Chantry judges look at when they're talking about support and, and custody of uh, minor children. Um, the preference of the child at age sufficient 
to express a preference. You mentioned that it's considered, but not necessarily, uh, that's not a deciding. Uh, stability of parents' home environment and employment of each parent, relative financial situation of the parents, difference in religion of the parents, difference in personal values of the parents, difference in lifestyles of the parents, and other factors relevant to the parent-child relationship. That's the catch-all, I guess. And Liz, as you read through the factors and, and, you, and, and a lay person would read those, they oftentimes overlap. When right. You see how um, when you said difference in uh, religion of the parents, well, that could be part of moral fitness, so right. to speak, or um, differences in personal values that could go to uh, parenting skills or could go to um, even the mental health of right. a uh, of a parent. So there's a lot of overlap, and um, but you know we're constantly guided by trying to figure out what is in the best interest and welfare of the child or children before us. And so these factors just give us a guide to uh, uh, try to reach that conclusion. All right, Professor Gershon, any closing remarks? No, just uh, to thank Judge Roberts for his good work and all the Chancery judges out there who really are on the front lines of these issues, and uh, their work is greatly appreciated. And we, we thank him very much. Uh, glad he doesn't have to put too many miles on his car to, to get around. And, and our heart goes out to those. Uh, you know, that's the way. Uh, lots of uh, uh, ministers, too, have to go around and uh, judges, too. Uh, and remember that the judges are human uh, with uh, human frailties. But uh, we hope they use their best judgment in making decisions. Correct. Thank right. you so much for having me. Oh, well, we're so glad you were here. So thank you. You've been. This has been uh, Chancery Court Judge Hayden Roberts from Rankin County has been our guest. This is wrapping us up for today on In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer in Jackson uh, was Java Chapman in Oxford. Tracy Daniel and Paul Bennett were helping us out today. So professor, for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford. I'm Liz Gill, and up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Please join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.